from 1 Peter and um, focus on just, you know, Advent. And you might be going, why are we in Genesis 3 if we're talking about the Advent? Well, um, turn there with me. Um, you know, we, we sang... Um, we sang in uh, the very beginning of the service, the first hymn, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. And, you know, the kids are still in the room. Y'all, you know, we, we, we expect, and with your kid, you long for Christmas. You have to wait a whole year. That's a long time. The older you get, a year goes by like, like that. Wish I could snap louder. Anyway, but it just it flies by. It's like it's already Christmas again. I had that this year. I was like, is it already November? Is November over already? It's just, it keeps coming. And, uh, which is good, it's good. And, uh, but for kids, oh, it just takes so long. And you wait, and you anticipate, and you long for it. But the question is, how long were God's people waiting? How long were they anticipating the coming of the Savior, the coming of Jesus? And the answer is, they started the waiting. They started anticipating all the way back at the fall. And that's the first time that, that a promise was made. You know, we read a promise from Micah, Micah 5, but the first promise is actually there, in some ways kind of hidden, kind of understated in the curse the, the, the effects of sin. In that, in that statement of the results of, of Adam and Eve's sin is the first promise. And it's there that that, lo- that, that longing began. That, that waiting, that anticipating Christmas began. So we're going to pray and then read Genesis 3, 1 through 24. And then um, see... Um, and, and how God works in that, in, even in the midst of sin, make, makes this wonderful promise, and then see how Jesus fulfills it. Let's let's pray, Lord God. Thank you for this, Your Word. Thank you for a time to just stop and and just revel in the wonderful reality that You have come. You entered this world. You took on our nature so that You could redeem us. Um, that it wasn't optional, it wasn't just something you could do, but it's something that had to be done so that you would be both just and the justifier. And Lord, we are so grateful. But help us now to, to see just how, how long you have been anticipated and how, so that we can together see just how wonderful your coming actually is. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And he said to Adam, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and, and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim, a flaming sword, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There's three points to this sermon, three things I want us to see. I want us to focus first on the, the horrible lie in this story, this true story. Second, I want us to think and consider the devastation of sin. And then thirdly, the promise of victory. The horrible lie, the devastation of sin, and the promise of victory. You know, one of the, the things that as you're talking to is you're talking to maybe people that aren't Christians, people that are skeptics, people that are, you know, secular humanists, people that are, you know, say they have no religion, but we know that everybody worships something and everyone has a philosophy and a presupposition that they follow and put their, set their lives on. When you talk to someone who's, who's contrary to Christianity, I think one of the, the wonderful things we can tell them, one of the wonderful realities is that we have an explanation for why our hearts long 
for things to be good, and they're not. You know, like, if you ever talk to someone who's, who, um, who's an atheist or agnostic and believes that everything happened randomly by chance and we've evolved, the question that they can never answer is, why do you wake up expecting to have a good day? Why do you wake up and get in the car and expect there not to be track? Why do you expect there not to be struggle? If all it's been is survival of the fittest and death and death and death since the beginning... Why are you so disappointed? Why do you have a category for something better? And they don't have an answer. You could say, well, this, we're spoiled by the you know, 21st century and all the amenities we have. You know, we're getting closer and closer to living like the Jetsons. If you're old enough, you know who the Jetsons are, right? But it's... Yeah, we have fancier stuff and we have phones and we can communicate, but there's still real struggle. And I'm not going to, you know, I would take the whole sermon talking about what's broken in our world. We have a reason why. We have an explanation that that the truth of the Scripture tells us why we long for something better and why everything is so broken. It's right here. God made us in His image... God made us for fellowship and for paradise and for life everlasting. And because of sin, the world, not just Adam and Eve, but the whole world broke. That's the, that's the reason. And so we don't, this isn't just a myth. This isn't just a, a story to tell our kids. This is, this is why things are the way they are. And I, I've, I've met, I meet with people, and not in a in an ugly way, but I challenge it. Can you can you come up with a better explanation, or you just want to ignore that basic question? Usually, the the, the non Christian says, "What about the problem of evil? How could a good God let evil in the world?" Well, the, our script, the God tells us how evil's in the world, and He tells us He has a plan to overcome it. But in His wisdom, He has purpose in the waiting. Purpose in the suffering. He is sovereign over all of it. We have an answer to these things. Don't let someone, if you're a high schooler, junior high, if you're struggling, this makes sense of the world we live in. It really, really does. It's not just a myth. It's an explanation. Not just of why women hate snakes. Which is, that was a very surface reading. It's deeper than that. It's why there is strife and hurt and struggle inside and outside of us. This is it. Satan, the fallen angel, the, the, this, this, this great being that God made who rebelled, came in to destroy God's good creation. He entered into paradise. He entered into, crea- into the created order. And what did he do? He put a lie in the ear of Eve. Not just this tree has good fruit... It's bigger than that again. You know? We, we are, we're pretty good at figuring out what fruit's good. Anybody who buys groceries go to the produce section. We, you know, this is, oh, this is rotten, this is good. You know, it's not just that Eve goes, oh, that's, that's a good, that's a good white. Oh, it looks like it'll be good to eat. It's, it's not that. It's, it's, it's deeper. What is it? It's that he entered in and told Eve, and then Eve, you know, you know and it says that Adam was with her. 
He, she gave it to Adam who was with her. So it's clearly that they were together and Adam was letting Eve do all the talking with the serpent. Um, not good. Uh, but, but the lie is this. The lie is this. And it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's, so, it's, it's the core of all the... Every thought, every sinful inclination you and I have, it's, it's, it's been handed down. through the, the guilt of original sin, the this, this sin nature, it's always this lie. Is, and it's really a question. Is God holding out on me? Is God holding out on me? Does He really love me? And that's the, that's the seed of it. That's what, that's what the serpent, that's what Satan put in her heart. Is there something good... That God is not giving me. And if that's true, and if you if you kind of if you get there, then what, what happens is, and what happened with Adam and Eve, they decided they can judge between what is good and evil. That God says, like, I'm the source of all good things. I've made you. Here, I've given you everything you need. There was no plowing. There was no tilling. There was no pulling weeds. It was just you You go up and the plants were there and they ate. And there was wonderful, just this one, one plant, one tree, one, one thing in the middle. You may not have this. And this was a test. And then Adam, all humanity fell when he ate of that tree, when he failed the test. And he believed the lie. Not just that I know better than God, but is God holding out on me? Does he really love me? If he really loves me, he would not hold a good thing from me. And they believed that lie. That question began to gnaw at them. And they decided, I'll decide what's good for me. And, and, the, all, uh, and it all fell. The poison had already entered their hearts before they even took a bite. You know, I remember as a kid, I used to think, those are some bad apples right there. You know? Fruit that makes you sinful. (laughs) It wasn't that. It wasn't something in the juices. It wasn't something, it wasn't like, you know, I guess it's from, uh, is it Snow White with the poison? Like, that was my, you know, bringing my cartoon world and... That was my theology at the time. I you know, I'm going to reference this Disney movie. Never good to do. Uh, come up with truth. But it was a poison apple. No, no, no. It was the choosing. It was the decision. It was the questioning God's love and His goodness toward them. And, and, it, and it, it broke them. It broke them. It broke the world. And that lie is still there, isn't it? In all our hearts, every time we are tempted, that's where we're going. If it's, do I... Do I do I look at this online? Do I, do I give over to the bitterness, to, to anger towards someone? Do I, do I retaliate? Do I, do I take vengeance into my own hands? All those times, we, day after day, you know, not just in actions, but just things we choose to think about, we're deciding, is this good or not? But the question before that is, has God said this is good? And then we decide... Do we know better than God? And that happens like that. Again, snapping a wish was louder. Anyway, so it happens in a moment. It's not something we... It's just, but you're going... And you don't have to really try. I know better than God. Bam, it's like that. God really, really, not, really must not love me because I really want this. 
But again, I was got to share with the high schoolers. We have a, sometimes we have a Q and A during during chapel on Thursdays, and I was up here with uh, with our Bible teacher Steve Mays and and and, and Vic Minish, and and one of the questions was about you know sexuality and things, and I said, you know what, the thing we got to learn is God says no out of love. He says no out of love, just like your parents. Like, and the illustration I gave to them was. If, if, if a parent sees their three-year-old running into the street, into traffic, and they say no, it's not because they're just trying to limit the child and not let the child express themselves and enjoy the fullness of all their choices. No, they're trying to save their life, right? The no is out of love. The negation is good. And... That, that thing, that idea, like how dare my parents tell me not to play in traffic. <laughs> that, that thought began here, in the garden. But we, in our sin natures, choose to play in the street. Choose to get there on I-20 and just hang out. I know better. Mack truck, bam! Okay, anyway. There's a little visual for you. Um... That's the lie. That's the lie we believe. It. But let's think about what happened as a result. Let's look at the, the curse that came, the, dev- the devastation of sin. What, what's the first response that they have? They believe this lie about God, this question of does He really love me? And then when God shows up, what are they doing? They're hiding. So the, the, first, the first thing that, the evidence that, that, that we're fallen, that something's broken this relationship between man and God, between humanity and God, is that they're hiding. They're ashamed. They make very, very poor quality clothing. <laughs> it's not just that they're shamed, but they're not really good at making clothes. They're, it's really bad, right? And they're, they're hiding behind a tree. And just think, you know, they've apparently known God for a while and walked with Him in the cool of the day. They know Him. Do they think he, that hiding behind a tree, like, do they think they're going to win this hide-and-seek game? It makes no sense. You've seen little kids going back to toddlers playing hide and seek. They're just in the corner doing this. You can't see me. You're like, oh, where do they go? And I think that's what God's doing here. He knows exactly what's happened. He's asking them questions. He knows exactly what... He didn't need to ask them what has gone wrong. He knew it. Even, even the, the questions are his acts of love and kindness and, 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 and coming, you know, bending down and, and condescending to them and loving them, even in their sin. He goes, what have you done? What happened? But they initially start hiding themselves. They feel like I, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. There's, I, can't, I can't face my Creator. It's immediately known to them that, that, that what they have done is separated them from each other and from their Creator. And then, you know, they start doing what, again, what husbands and wives do. They blame each other. It's this woman you gave me. And then Eve goes, it's this serpent that's and I think behind that is that you've let in here. Blaming each other, blaming God. Guilt and shame. The separation, the, the breakdown of community between God and His people and His people and one another. There it is, right there. 
That's what sin does. That's what choosing to go our own way, us choosing, trying to be God, putting ourselves in His place, trying to decide what's good and evil. That's what it does. Let's look at the... So we have guilt and shame that's come in, but also these curses. First, he addresses the serpent, Satan. Satan has taken this form of a serpent, so he addresses Satan. But we're going to come back to this in a minute. But let's look at what he says to next. The woman, what's the effect? I will surely multiply your, your, chain, your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Thank God for epidurals, right? With sweet mercies, even in a broken world. Some of you didn't take those. Kudos. <laughs> you didn't use that. I don't know what to say. I'm not going to act like I know what it's like. I'm a, I'm a dude, and I thank God. Uh, there's a joke. If, if women had to... Uh, if men were the ones that gave birth, uh, we would have died out a long time ago. And I think that's true. We're not as brave as you ladies. Um, um, and, and so... In pain, it'll be painful, but not only just in the in the in the in the delivery room, but also every day after. In pain, you shall bring forth children. You shall raise them up. You shall childbearing is hard, and and you know what? Sometimes there's a song about raising teenagers by Andy Gullivore. I love. He goes, you know. You know, sometimes you know when they when they sin, it feels personal. And he says it's because it is. <laughs> uh, sometimes it can be personal, especially the teenage years. You don't understand me, anyway. Um, but you're dealing with your sin. You're dealing with your children's sin. It's hard. They don't go the way you want them to go. Tell them not to play in the street and they still want to play in the street. It's hard. It's difficult. Sin has affected that, that fundamental relationship between a mother and a child, but also between a husband and wife. Look what it says. That's the other thing. The curses not only apply to childbearing and raising children, but your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Another way it says your, your desire shall be over against your husband. That there's going to be this battle about who shall rule and who shall lead. And again, you look and go, well, Adam didn't lead well. <laughs> and from here on out, there's going to be a, a struggle. The, uh, you know, the created order was he made Adam first and he made Eve to be co-heirs with him, equal with him, made from his side, and yet he's called to lead and to, and to and protect and, and, to, and to be the head of that family. But yet, now because of the sin, because Adam didn't come through, <laughs> there's going to be this doubt of, yeah... It, this guy's broken and, and, and I think I know best and, and there's going to be this strife. And, and again, uh, not to say that women don't know best sometimes. A lot of times. My wife's not in here. I'm, I'm saying that without her even in here. Okay? Because that's true. I'm not, I, don't, I don't feel threatened. I don't feel like I have to say that. It's true. Um, but, but there's going to be this conflict. And, and then because of the sinfulness of, 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 these, of man, of, of men, they're going to abuse their power, it says. He shall rule over you. And that's not a, that's not a, a, a good ruling. That's not a, a loving rule. It shall be. And so when you look at history and you see the abuse and you see cultures all through the world, all through history, men taking advantage, hurting women, not loving them well, that's 
That's what happens. And there's struggle in marriage, or struggle in these fundamental relationships of parents and children and husbands and wives. That's, that's because of sin. That's because of the fall. Look at the man, too. It's not just curse on women, but Adam, it says. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, again, you can use that out of context now. Don't do that, men. <laughs> says right there, got bad because he listened to the voice of his wife. No. Let's got to go back to Ephesians 5. I'm not going to greet all that, but you got to go back to Ephesians 5. We love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Because in this moment, he listened to his, his wife's words instead of remembering God's word. He listened to another creature's word and take on, on God what God said and not what God himself has said. And you ate of the tree, which I told you not to eat of it. The ground is cursed. And instead of now just going and picking the fruit and enjoying the fruits of the ground that God provided, he's going to have to toil and in pain he shall bring forth food. That he'll experience great futility and struggle just to put food on the table. It'll take hard work, sweat, thorns and thistles and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And not only that, will there be not just labor but toil. You know, again, work didn't, work didn't come into the situation because of the fall. It come into the world because of the fall. Labor came in because of the fall. They were created to work the garden and to, and to enjoy its fruitfulness. But now, it's going to be laborious. And there'll be futility. And you can do everything right. Plant when you're supposed to plant. Water when you're supposed to water. And it's still you won't have a harvest. There's still going to be times in a broken world where it's futile. And it's for nothing. And we experience that. Not just in, in farming, but in our every vocation, guys. Everything we do, there's futility. Justin's been preaching on that. Ecclesiastes. It's making sense of the fallen world. And that... You can't put your hope in any of that stuff. Anything in the created order, it's all, it's not going to come through. And we experience that as men. We feel it so much more, um, so, so um, truly and, and intensely in, the, in our area of vocation because of this. You're going to feel it and it's going to hurt. In pain, you shall eat all the days of your life. And also, death. I created you from the dust, and to the dust you will return. Not only is there going to be futility in, in our vocations, not only futility in our relationships that the woman feels, feels the greater of, uh, but also death has entered the world. But there's grace in this curse, though. There's grace there. God's grace is there, it's present. Even in the curse for the man and the woman. Look, it doesn't say that because of sin, I'm done with you and I'm starting over with new creatures. I'm going to bring the next species up and see what I can do with them. Whoever that is. Dolphins? I don't know. But, no, he says, you're going to keep bearing children. So right there is the promise. It's, it's going to be in pain, that you, but you're going to keep on going. I'm not going to destroy you. And, and to Adam, yeah, death will come, but and, and, and futility, but he's not gonna, his diet won't be thorns and thistles. 
There will be fruit. He will provide. There was no death sentence here for Adam and Eve. It's going to be hard. You're going to feel the effects of this fallen world, but there's still going to be food. And there's still going to be children. And you'll still move forward. And I'll still love you. There's the horrible lie. There's the devastation of sin. But now the the promise of victory. We're going to come back to this curse of the serpent. See, this is a this is a story of defection, isn't it? You know, um, Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity, the pinnacle of God's creation, and and then they, as our as our representatives, as our first parents, chose a side, and it wasn't Yahweh's. And then there was there was a a, a breakdown in 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 fellowship, a breakdown in community between God and His people, between Adam and Eve. But the good news, the gospel is here in that God doesn't just leave the, the enmity between husband and wife, between children and parents, between He and His people. He puts enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. He says, I'm not just going to give humanity, I'm not going to give my people over to sin, over to destruction. I'm going to start a war. I'm going to initiate a battle. And the battle is not against us, but it's for our hearts. The battle is against Satan himself. And he says, I'm going to bring you back onto my side. I'm going to preserve a people for myself who will fight against the offspring of the enemy. That's so good, isn't it? You see that, right? You see that in, in verses 14 through 15. He says to, to the serpent, to Satan, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And we have that as a reminder of when we see a serpent that that... that you know, that, that's, a, that's an effect of the fall, but it reminds us of something. That, that, that the enemy that Satan has put low, and he's going to put enmity, hate, between the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And get this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the story of the rest of the Scriptures. You cannot understand Genesis 4 through Revelation 21 unless you get this. This is the big picture. It's this battle. Battle lines were drawn the moment after sin entered the world. And that's how you understand the rest of the story. From Abel to Seth to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all the faithful of Israel, to David and his offspring, and the king, again, kings that were, ruled like David, and kings that ruled like the other nation's kings. 
And the battle still goes on today. God, it says, I have a people for myself that not all humanity will, 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 get, will be given over. They will fight back. And I will see it that my people, that my promise is kept, that I will bring about goodness and, and redemption and re- restoration out of this tragedy. It's not just that there's offspring in the plural, but if you, when you read this and you, and you look at the Hebrew, you realize it's not just that there'll be many descendants that, are, that, that follow God and follow Yahweh, even though they're in a, in a fallen, sinful state. When it says, look what it says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. When it says seed, it's singular. When it says offspring, it's singular. When it says he shall bruise your head, it's singular. Masculine, singular. It's not just a collection of, 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 of believers. It's talking about the one born of a woman who would win the day. Who would be our victor. This is, this is talking about Jesus. Kids, this is talking about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is mentioned in the third chapter of the Scriptures? Did y'all know that? And so, that most when they read this, when they thought this, when they thought that this, this, this would overcome this, this battle, they thought that, that this person would come in strength of arms and might and power and like we said, wear a crown on his head and, and be this great king, the king that was promised, a king like David. But Genesis 3.15 tells us that it's not through arms and through power and strength that he would win the day. It would come from the serpent striking his heel. That he would be wounded. That he would be struck. That it wouldn't be without hardship. That it wouldn't be without sacrifice. But how was he struck? How was this accomplished? The, The snake struck his heel and what do we know of Jesus Christ he he did succumb to death but it was a temporary death death and the grave had no power over him it could not hold him and up from the grave he arose on the third day again fulfilling the promise but yes he was struck but how it how is it and those of you who walked around in the woods a lot you know how is it you get struck on the heel it's because you stepped on the snake And who has it worse in that situation? It's the snake. (laughs) Jesus, though he is struck, he is bruised. Actually, a better word to translate this is crushed. He crushes the head of Satan, of the snake under his heel. He didn't just bruise his head, it's not just a glancing blow. He's killed, he's defeated. That's the picture. A strike on the heel versus a strike at the head. He's saying the seed, the singular, masculine singular seed, this this singular offspring of the woman would come forth who would destroy the serpent, destroy Satan and all his plans of destroying God's people and God's world. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we, what we tend to do is we focus on the all sinned. <laughs> we, 
know that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we usually go to that to prove what? To prove, you know, that all men are sinful, that all people are sinful, that we're born in sin. And that's a great proof text for that. It's true. That's, that's the problem. That's the, that's, the, that's the problem we inherited from Genesis 3. But note the second part. They fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That we need to be restored to glory. We, 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 were, we enjoyed it. We, we, we were able to be with God in His glory. That we didn't have to... That we could see... They could see Him and walk with Him. Uh, sinless. Eternal. No death. No, no enmity between them and God. No full, beautiful rest, uh, relationship with God. We fall short of the glory, but we need to be restored to that glory. And that is what Christ has come to do. That's what Christmas is about. It's not just keeping the promises of Micah 5, that a child would be born in Bethlehem to be a king, but the victor over Satan and the undoer of the fall would be an offspring of Eve. And victory would be won through this offspring. The curse would be undone and glory would be restored. Our problem now, our problem from the beginning is that we were made for so much more but we are too easily satisfied. Our first parents not only exchanged the truth for a lie but also rejected the glory of the Creator God for the illusion that joy and peace and glory could be found in themselves. And that's still what we do. That's still what we do when, is, is those, if we, when we reject God. We're saying, no, I can find contentment and peace and joy in myself and my own decisions in this world. I can find it somewhere in this horizontal plane of existence. But, on, but it, we can't. And on Christmas, the glory came down. The glory of God came down and dwelt among us. And we who fall short of that glory are restored to God because the Son came as the offspring of woman to endure the curse for us. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come to set His people free. How long? Since the, very, since the, the first sin, there was a promise made. He's coming. He has come. It's the story that makes sense of the world and how broken it is. It makes sense of our longing for more. But it also makes sense of our hope. And it makes sense of the manger. It makes sense of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. That's what had to be done. And He promised He would do it. And He did it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. We thank You that what we needed from the first sin, from the original sin, from the fall, initial fall from glory and fall from uh, and, and broken relationship with you, you at the, at the very outset said, there's hope. There's hope that will come. There will be one who would come. And you made the promise. And we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you have come. You were, you were born. You took on 
You, you did not cease to become God, but took on a human nature and dwelt among us. And in the cross, you dealt that death blow. You overcame the, the strike of, of the serpent. You overcame the bruised hill. You, you defeated him. And we thank you that you will then come again in power and glory and put Satan and sin and death to death forever and restore us to a greater glory that was lost in the garden. This is the promise of Scripture. This is the hope of Christmas. And we give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.